welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 207. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Mark Pearson-Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mike, and good morning, listeners, members, subscribers, and everybody else within the Moonshots family. I mean, you and I, as well as all of our listeners, have a bit of a treat in store today as part of show 207, don't we, Mike? We go to one of the ultimate sources of wisdom, one of the most popular people that we have studied on the show, Mark. Mm, that's right, listeners. We are digging into the world again of Dr. Brené Brown, who's an American professor, lecturer, author, as well as a bit of a podcast host, Mike. I mean, you and I, we need to keep an eye out, don't we? But her research really specifically digs into the idea around vulnerability, leadership, shame, and she's done all sorts of books that you and I have covered on the Moonshot Show, including Gifts of Perfection, Braving the Wilderness, and Daring Greatly. But there's just so much we can learn from Brené that you and I just had to dig in once more into the world of Brené Brown and understand what else can we learn around wisdom and how we can utilize Brené's teachings in our day-to-day lives. I totally agree. I think the uh, uh, the interesting thing is like when you say, hey, Brene Brown, expert in vulnerability and shame, you're like, well, that sounds like a rather awkward show <laughs> to be doing. But the truth really is, Mark, um, she talks about things and thoughts and behaviors that we very rarely have the capacity or the courage to actually talk about. In fact, I think she calls us out on all of those bad habits that result from ego. It's almost like somehow you take Eckhart Tolle, Jordan Peterson, and put a good Texas bit of frank questioning and investigation, and you have Brené Brown, as she is so good at getting into topics that I think a lot of us run the other direction from. Mm. And I think that's why we wanted to pull together a show. We know that you guys and gals love Brené's work, her her shows have been incredibly popular. We haven't been to Brene for some time. In fact, it's over years, Mark. So I feel like, mm. you know, as we have finished a great dose of stoicism from the likes of Ryan Holiday, and before we jump into our wisdom series, the perfect bridge here is someone who's full of wisdom herself, Miss Brene Brown. So, Mark, I am dying to jump in and tackle some uncomfortable questions. I'm ready to challenge myself a bit. I have the growth mindset going. What about you? Yeah, I'm feeling a little bit, shall we say, nervous maybe. Uh, I'm <laughs> conscious that Brené is going to start uh, challenging me. And I know the clips that we have ahead of us in today's show are certainly going to push us to perhaps the edge of our comfort zones, Mike. And that is good. That's what we want here on the Moonshots podcast. So why don't we kick off by hearing from Brené herself, who's going to start introducing us to the idea of some of the fundamentals that we've already mentioned and referenced around Brené Brown. But this first clip is going to help you and I and all of our listeners really understand the challenge that we can put up against critics. So let's hear from Brené, first of all, telling us about the critics. I used to think the best way to put your work out into the world is to make sure the critics are not in the arena. But you have no control over who's in the arena. And the best way I have found is to know that they're there and to know 
exactly what they're going to say to you because each of you know the three seats that will always be taken when you walk into the arena when you share your work with someone the three seats that will always be taken are shame scarcity and comparison shame completely universal human emotion we all have it it's that gremlin that whispers you're not you're not enough or if you're feeling pretty confident like this is I went through this like in a, when Scott was talking I went back and forth from like a, like a ping pong table with gremlins back from oh my god I'm not enough I'm not enough to I can do this I can totally oh who do you think you are that's the other gremlin that's how it works like look at you big for your britches um, I clearly have Texas gremlins um, I don't know that everyone says too big for their britches, but that's what my gremlins say. So shame always has a seat. The other seat that's always taken is scarcity. What am I doing that everyone, what am I doing that's original? Everyone else is doing this. 150 people are doing it who are better trained than, I'm tra- than I am. What am I contributing? Does this really matter? The third seat, always comparison. How many of you ever struggle with comparison? Oh my God, comparison is a nightmare. Um, You know, I made a pact not to talk to anyone in the green room because what I was afraid that I would end up doing is say, so what are you talking about? (laughs) That's interesting because I'm going first. Um, (laughs) And so if it sounds super good, and I think I suck comparatively, I may say that. And then I'm catching a flight to Dallas. Um, Comparison is always there. The fourth seat I left open for you. You gotta know who's in the fourth seat. Is it a teacher? Is it a parent? Is it a shitty ex-coworker? Am I the only one that's ever had one of those? The thing is, I don't care what people think. I don't worry about the critics in the arena. Sends a huge red flag up for me. We're hardwired for connection. When we stop caring what people think, we lose our capacity for connection. When we become defined by what people think, we lose our capacity to be vulnerable. Not caring what people think is its own kind of hustle. Trust me. Uh, Mark, it's some great Texas open, honest, <laughs> direct conversation right there. I just love her style, don't you? Look, I, well, I think what's very, very uh, enticing and welcoming about Brené is just how relatable I think she can be, even though she's enormously heralded as a professor and lecturer. You know, she's still telling these stories and we've got a couple of clips coming up as well that just paint her in such a relatable Relatable. light. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Mike, I mean, look, I'm going to hold my hands up straight away. Mm -hmm. That gremlin uh, (laughs) Brené has has referenced, (laughs) oh, it's been knocking around in my head. It might not have a Texas or a Dallas accent, uh, but it certainly, it certainly has been challenging, you know, through my career. It certainly reared its head or its voice at moments when I wish it wouldn't. Mm. What about you? Oh, listen, I don't want to regale you with yet another running and marathon story, <laughs> but I had that. I remember when 
very good friend of mine said to me, come on, Mike, let's run the marathon together. And the first emotional response was, I don't know if I can do that. I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I, do, I work a lot. Have I got time to train? I don't even, 42 kilometers, that seems like a, like an eternity. And it is so crazy that after 47 years, and if you look at David Goggins, you know, he talks about, you know, celebrating, uh, and, and, you know, keeping a, a list of all your great wins. He, 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 he calls it a particular name. I can't remember what it is, but he's a cookie jar. That's what he calls it. He says, you've got to have a cookie jar that you go into. Um, and anyway, despite my cookie jar and we've all got them, my first reaction was like, Oh, I don't know. And that was the gremlin speaking to me. I mean, yes. it is for me, part of our natural survival technique, I think, is that we allow this fear of failure, we allow self-doubt into our world. And, you know, lucky I won that battle. And maybe naively, Mike, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, let's do it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what's so great, if you can hold on to it, Mark, and this is Mm. really interesting, if you can hold on to those moments where you remember you had the self-doubt, but you overcame it and you got the job done. I think that is huge in building the habit so that when you naturally are feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you remember, Oh yeah, that's right. I felt that when I was invited to, to do the marathon, but I remember I actually, I said, yes, in the end I did do it and I accomplished something amazing and I feel great about that. So it's okay in the future if I feel a little bit awkward, uncomfortable, or I hear the gremlin whispering. Yes. Well, and and I think when there's been moments for me, um, you know, with work, for example, when somebody says to you, Hey, why don't you Mark take on this project? And and I've sat there thinking, you know, and I remember it was uh, several years ago and it was quite a technical project that was, that was delegated to me. And I remember thinking, oh, I, I don't know the first thing about any of this. I'm going to really have to learn. <laughs> and, and that, that kind of creeping gremlin of, of, uh, you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they? They're all going to judge you. You're, mm-hmm. you're a fake. How have you got this far? You know, leads to that, that shame that Brené was, was calling out in that first clip, but you're right by exposing yourself to it and practicing that growth mindset, which we talk about on the show all the time, the next time it happened, I was able to, and I quite like, I just wrote it down, the cookie jar. I I was able to think back to that previous discomfort and be able to compare it and think, actually, this second time around, it doesn't feel so bad because I feel like I've got a little bit of confidence from it. And gradually, over time, you just get exposed to it and, and it does get better, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think like if, if we're talking about cookie jars, we're very fortunate, Mark, that we have a whole bunch of people in a human cookie jar, uh, a whole bunch <laughs> of people that are snacking away on the goodness of the Moonshots Master Series. And that's our members, Mark. I think it's only appropriate that we uh, tip the hat to our very special members and subscribers. Our very, very special, uh, not gremlins, but our very, very special individuals who can help themselves to the Moonshots Master Series and the Cookie Jar include Dan, 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 
Bob and John, Terry, Ken, Dietmar, Marjan and Connor, all of our individuals who've been with us for well over 12 months now, Mike. Yes, Connor, Connor just had uh, a one-year anniversary as a member of Moonshot, so congratulations to Connor. Congratulations, Connor. But shortly after Connor will be Rodrigo and Yasmin, Lisa, Sid, Mr. Bonjour, Paul and Berg, Calman, David, Joe and Crystal, Ivo, Christian, Hurricane Brain and Samuela, Kelly, Barbara, Andre and Matthew, Eric and Abby, Jose and Joshua, Chris, Deborah, Lasse and Steve, Craig, Lauren, Javier, Daniel, Andrew, Ravi, Yvette, Karen, Raul, PJ, Nikuara, Ola, Ingram, Sarah, Dirk, Emily, and our brand new member, HB. Happy birthday to us, perhaps, Mike. <laughs> yeah, welcome to HB, uh, our latest member. And if you'd like to become a member, you'll get full access to a whole second podcast, the Moonshots Master Series. And you can do that at moonshots.io. Become a member, join the club, because there's one thing guaranteed is that you're going to get lunar-powered good karma. And I'll tell you what, if you're looking for a bit of that right now, you need to get stuck into Brene Brown and she's got some thoughts on something that we all do, which is blaming others. How many of you are blamers? How many of you, when something goes wrong, the first thing you want to know is whose fault it is? Hi, my name is Brene. I'm a blamer. Let me just tell you this quick story. So this is a couple years ago when I first realized the magnitude to which I blame. I'm in my house, I'm on white slacks and a pink sweater set, and I'm drinking a cup of coffee in my kitchen. It's a full cup of coffee. I drop it on the tile floor. It goes into a million pieces, splashes up all over me. And the first, I mean, a millisecond after it hit the floor, right out of my mouth is this, damn you, Steve. (laughs) Who is my husband? Because let me tell you how fast this works for me. So Steve plays water polo with a group of friends. And the night before, he went to go play water polo. And I said, hey, make sure you come back at 10, because you know I can never fall asleep into your home. And he got back like at 10.30. And so I went to bed a little bit later than I thought. Ergo, my second cup of coffee that I probably would not be having had he come home when we discussed. Therefore, and so the rest of that story is I'm cleaning up um, the kitchen. Steve calls caller ID. I'm like, hey. He's like, hey, what's going on, babe? (laughs) What's going on? Um, So I'll tell you exactly what's going on. I'm cleaning up the coffee that spilled all, like dial tone. Because he knows. How many of you go to that place when something bad happens, the first thing you want to know is whose fault is it? I'd rather it be my fault than no one's fault. Because why? Why? Because it gives us some semblance of control. But here, if you enjoy blaming, this is where you should stick your fingers in your ear and do the no, 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 nothing, because I'm getting ready to ruin it for you. Because here's what we know from the research. Blame is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It has an inverse relationship with accountability. Accountability, by definition, is a vulnerable process. It means me calling you and saying, hey, my feelings were really hurt about this and talking. It's not blaming. Blaming is simply a way that we discharge anger. People who blame a lot seldom have the tenacity and grit to actually hold people accountable because we expend all of our energy raging for 15 seconds 
and figuring out whose fault something is. And blaming is very corrosive in relationships, and it's one of the reasons we miss our opportunities for empathy. Because when something happens and we're hearing a story, we're not really listening. We're in the place where I was making the connections as quickly as we can about whose fault something was. Mike, this speaks to me so, so much. And I've got to admit, (laughs) I think confession time. (laughs) It's confession time on the Moonshot podcast. Because Mike, I have been Brené. I have been in that situation where (laughs) maybe I'm distracted. Maybe there's something else in my mind. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's walking the dog. Maybe it's something random. And I've I've accidentally stubbed my toe. You know, for example, the other day Mm. when I was tidying the house, I I turned around, stubbed my toe on a chair and thought, ah, I can't believe my wife did that. And my wife, who she's a very hardworking doctor, she's uh, on call, she's not even in a house, but my instinctual reaction was very, very similar to that story we just heard from Brené, which is, why has Claire done this? And I caught myself and I thought, this is completely unreasonable. (laughs) I'm the only one here. Uh, The only one here, I'm not losing face. I'm not losing, uh, uh, I'm not embarrassing myself in front of anyone. It's just a frustration. And what I realized though, was I was blaming, I think I was trying to blame myself for it, but then instinctually trying to deflect it away. And going back to that, that point that we were talking about earlier, which is this idea of kind of self-preservation, you know, and the desire to, uh, not step into an arena and, and get that uncomfortableness. If you have a physical discomfort, I think it's kind of the same for me, at least. Um, what would you say? How, how do you feel when you hear that clip? Oh, look, uh, I'm totally with you. Like, <laughs> I, I think it's, we're angry at ourselves and it is easier to look outside rather than in, don't you? I think mm. we just, mm. it's convenient to blame them because deep inside, you know, you did the wrong thing. You know, you stubbed your toe, but you weren't looking where you're going or you had your phone in your hand, you know. But sometimes it's hard to admit that because you're admitting failure. You're admitting that you're 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 a dope stumbling around the house. Rather, (laughs) it's easy. Oh, Claire, why did you do this? I I totally get it, and I think that in the end of the day, you know, we have to see that it's natural uh, to blame others. Sometimes it becomes worse, where you become quite judgmental. And, you know, this to me, it's just wasted energy. I think if you can just be a little bit more pragmatic and down to earth and say, hey, that's on me and really mean it, not like these disingenuous kind of CEO talks where they fire gazillions of people and say, it's all on me. But I'm talking about it's really that was my fault and that's okay. I'm not perfect. I'm just going to do better. And for me, it's, it's the thing I try to do is not push so much energy out on blaming and judging others and just say, it's okay. I didn't do great here. I can do better and let's move on. Because like, if you think about Mm -hmm. it, getting really angry about the spilt coffee, it's like the coffee spilt, it's done. What, what benefit is coming from getting really wound up about it. There is actually technically zero benefit possible from, from getting upset. So you may as well go, huh, it's just a pair of pants. Look, worst case scenario, if mm. we can't remove the stain, I get a new pair. 
whatever. Like it's not that big a deal. You will never be on your deathbed thinking about, oh, the coffee stain on those white pants, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I think that's that's like I try to do stuff like that just to get myself out of the blame and out of the judgment. And I think that it's just amazing for me when you've made the choice of not rushing to judgment um, and not rushing towards blame, how it just frees up your time and your headspace, Mark. Like, oh, it's kind of liberating in that sense. If does that make mm. any does that make any sense? There was a time when I was younger, <clears throat> and I remember something, some uh, a deadline was missed or a deliverable was incorrect with work, and I remember instinctually um, making a decision in my head. Well, you know what? This is so and so's fault. I'll make sure that you know my reputation is protected because so-and-so hasn't delivered. Mm. Mm. And then I, 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 I caught myself and thought, well, that's a bit unfair because if I was in so-and-so's position, I'd prefer a better brief. Maybe I should have been more aware of the timeline. Maybe I should have had more feedback. Maybe um, I would have preferred the individual who had given me the work to take more of an active role in reviewing and so on. And by putting myself in their shoes, and imagining what it would be like to receive that blame, I thought, actually, that doesn't feel right. You know, it's it going back to this idea of legacy that we've talked about on the show mm. um, a lot recently. If I was teaching somebody, whether it was a, a, a child or, or even talking about it on, on the Moonshot show, is that something that I'd be really proud of? Probably not. I think I'd be more concerned with um, the lying or the blaming that that comes with not taking responsibility and ownership for that that mishap. If anything, I'd rather raise a hand and say, ah, you know what? Yep, that's on me. But good news is I understand it and I can learn from it. Suddenly that feels more worthwhile, mm. doesn't it? That feels more it, productive. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, isn't it great that Brené's questions and her thinking sort of pulls us out of the fog of our own ego. And now she's going to continue that with a journey into trust. And she's got this great acronym called BRAVING. And uh, let's listen up as she explains those. And actually what we'll do is we'll pick one of those letters and we'll see how we can use it too. BRAVING is the acronym we use. B is boundaries. You set boundaries. When you don't know what they are, you ask. You're clear about what's okay and not okay, which is, as you know, so hard for people. Yeah. Boundaries are really hard. Reliability is the R. You do what you say and you say what you do. The big hard thing about reliability is you're not hustling for worthiness. So you're not completely over committing and not delivering. Yes. That's the reliability issue. A is accountability. You don't back channel and blame you hold people accountable in a straightforward way. V, which I think is really interesting, is the vault. Oh, the vault. Can we talk about the vault yeah, for a the second? Vault. The vault is so huge because in this culture and in this time, I say this with my friends all the time, like, I'm going to tell you something and it's got to stay in the vault. Right, <laughs> it right. has to stay in right. the vault. And once that goes, if anyone violates that, and I've had it happen before, something shuts down in me. Oh, it does. It's, it's hard to come back from it. Yeah. What people don't understand about the vault that's really interesting to me too is that you call me in and you you know, I'm saying, I don't understand why I got the position. You say, look, we've got some trust issues that we need to work through specifically. I want to talk about confidentiality in the vault. And I look at you and like, Marie, I have never shared a single thing that you have told me in the 10 years we've known each other. And you look back at me and say, yes, but you come in here on a regular basis and share things with me that are not yours to share. 
it's the other side of confidentiality. It is not only do you not talk out of school between us, you don't come in here and say, Hey, look, I know what's going on with John, blah, blah, you know, or this is what's happening with, you know, so because when I do that and I, I do that to get connection with you, I do that as a bid for connection. Let me tell you what's going on that you don't know about. Yeah. But when I walk out of the office, you trust me less because I'm using stories that are not mine as currency. Yes. So we've got the vault. Then we go to I integrity, which is choosing courage over comfort, practicing your values. And this is a big one. And I think we have this in common. And I, I love this about you. It's choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, and easy. You know, we have a culture of fun, fast, and easy. We yes. have a culture of people who don't do discomfort. Um, and that's, I've never achieved a single thing in my career or life comfortably. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then we go to not in for non-judgment. Um, you can ask for help without feeling judged and I can ask for help without judging myself. And then generosity, which I think is probably the, the biggest, hardest one for me sometimes, which is when something happens, I assume positive intent. So if things go sideways between us, yeah. I'm like, damn it, Marie, I'm so pissed off. I go and say, let me assume the best. Help me understand what happened, Marie. I thought we had a plan around this. Yes. And I give you a chance, a benefit of the doubt before I launch into my anger. Yeah. I think that one's probably the most difficult for me as well. The one I can see where I instantly jump to conclusions or I can watch my mind go right. to the worst possible right. scenario. I right. did it with my family the other night. Mike, I, I have to agree. I'm leaning towards that, that last one as probably the one that I fall down a little bit uh, more so than the other six, which the is the generosity. The, yeah, the generosity. Yeah, tell it. Tell me. Yeah. So there's many times, it's similar to the story I was recounting a few minutes ago. Even now, with the benefit of experience, with the benefit of maybe being a little bit older and seeing a few more projects and a few more uh, collaborations take place. There's still moments where my initial split second reaction to uh, a bit of bad news, let's say, maybe it's, ah, oh, we can't meet this deadline or I've got some feedback or sorry, you, you didn't make uh, your KPIs, whatever it might be. My initial thing will be frustration. Oh, I, I don't believe that person has, has done this. Uh, I can't believe they have the goal to provide that feedback or uh, re request more time, whatever it is. It's a lack of generosity, as I'm now learning from Brené, that's causing my uh, instinctual mindset to lean into that. It's because I haven't cultivated enough of a, a generous mindset towards others. You know, we talked about it on the show before, the idea of looking at others when you're out and about, maybe on a walk and you know, you don't know what, what that person's done, what their life's all about. And that's quite uh, liberating when you then, you know, try and be more open with each other and more generous with your, with your time and your opinions towards them. But for me, yeah, that's certainly something that I think imp uh, impacts and affects my intentions, my words, maybe even my actions towards others, because I haven't necessarily given myself and given them enough uh, generosity in my mindset. Yeah. My simple thing there is like, just, uh, don't rush to judgment, give them the benefit mm. of the doubt. Don't under, like there's this ancient wisdom about do not underestimate the battles, uh, that, uh, a man is facing, you know, like if yes. we meet someone and don't be too quick to judge. You have no idea what on earth is going on. <laughs> 
in their yes. world, right? And uh, we would only hope for the same respect towards ourselves if we're having not like a great day and if everybody was rushing to judgment and weren't being generous. And, uh, yeah, that'd be pretty tough, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would. Uh, likewise, the other element of trust that really spoke to me was this reliability. So the reliability to do what you promise and where I'm seeing this reliability really coming into action is actually off the back of our recent course about goals, the idea mm. of setting achievable goals and being able to turn around and say no to things when you know that it's going to get in the way of your uh, deliverables or uh, things that don't matter. You know, I'm thinking John Doerr, measure what matters specifically. This idea of holding yourself accountable and therefore being more reliable because you know what mm. you can and can't do, I think is a big, uh, big lesson here. And, and that's another great takeaway that I'm getting yeah. from Brené's work. To be honest, this acronym of braving, you know, boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgment, yeah. Mark, I think that's one or two shows just we could dedicate just to the acronym. But the thing is, we've got so we much really more from Brené Brown to give. So, th- so far we've talked about this idea of how we're affected by the critics. And, you know, I think you know, like the big takeout there is like, don't let that self-doubt and that shame, don't let it block you, you know, get through that discomfort. And when you're in tough situations, maybe in a team situation or family uh, whatever it is, just don't rush, just don't be a blamer. And remember that, you know, you got to build trust in many different ways and you've got to hold yourself accountable and, and really bring that braving acronym to life. We've already covered all that. I feel like we could go back and double down on so many of those, but let's keep going because there's so much in the body of work from Brene Brown. And the next thought she has really comes to with what I think is something that's pervasive here uh, in 2022 in a world post-COVID and a world full of change, and that is worry and anxiety. And you know what? The great news is that Brené Brown has some great advice on how to overcome worry. Worry is defined as a chain of negative thoughts about bad things that might happen in the future. So I think when you study people who worry and who've overcome worry, what I've learned is reality checking and perspective taking. Is this line of thought helping or hurting? Do I have enough data to freak out? And if I do have enough data to freak out, will that be helpful to me to freak out? And so those have become my questions every time. One, do I have enough data to expend this amount of energy? No. I just don't have enough data to be spending this resource. And even if I do have enough data, is this going to help me? And the answer is always no. It's really about self-awareness. We cannot be more connected to other people than we are to ourselves. And while we desperately seek to build cultures of connection, to build trust in teams, to do the right thing by the people that we serve. If we're not connected to self, if we don't understand our emotional landscape, if we don't understand what's driving our thinking and driving our behaviors, because let me make no mistake, emotion is at the wheel. Thinking and acting are not riding in the front seat shotgun. They are hogtied in the trunk. 
emotion drives. We are emotional beings. Do not try to forge connection with others or build a culture of connection until you are fully connected and know yourself. That's the favor you can do to all of us. We will do almost anything to not feel pain, including causing other people pain. It's so much easier to hurt than to feel hurt. I don't, you know, it's just part of our humanity, I guess. We need to understand where the hurt, the sorrow, the despair, the anguish, the rage is coming from so that we can not work it out on other people on an individual level or a collective level. Yeah. I mean, again, Mike, there's still so much we can learn from Brené. And and going back to what we were discussing at the front of the show, she's calling us out here. And in fact, I can almost feel like Brené's calling me out personally (laughs) here (laughs) because there, there have been times, like I've mentioned earlier, when I've instinctually gone towards the blame game. Oh no, so-and-so hasn't done what they've they said they were going to do, so it must be their fault. But actually, as we've just heard, that's just me deflecting the pain away from me towards other people. And that's that instinctual behavior that probably comes with being, you know, a, a, an animal uh, mm. at, the, at the core of it. Mm. And, and I suppose, you know, it's really just an extension of the fight or flight mentality that we've talked about on the show before. Learning how to, um, let's say, absorb or at least notice that deflection. And instead of trying to pass it off to others, instead trying to be more, uh, uh, have a bit more integrity and try and take ownership is something that I've, I think I've got to start working on and reflecting upon. What, what, what are you, what are you hearing from Brené in, in that clip there? Yeah, I look, I think it reminds me of two other shows we've done, Eckhart Tolle and Dale Carnegie. If you are interested in uh, getting into this topic of worry and anxiety, stress, hit moonshots.io and check out the Eckhart Tolle uh, show or the Dale Carnegie How to Stop Worrying. It reminds me so much of um, uh, those shows. And, and really the simple exercise I do is, you know, Daniel Pink talks about the power of regret. And I think that's a very important, efficient way to go back into the past take your learnings and then Mark, get the hell out of there. <laughs> because I think what happens is I think so many of us get stuck in the past. We've never let go of these things that have happened, not just weeks, but years, a lifetime ago. And whatever pain and suffering that we have from the past, bringing them continuously back into the present is so painful. At some point we have to be at peace with the past so I always think about not dwelling, not getting stuck in the past, bring myself in, into the present because that's what we really have. And if you're into, interested in this idea of being present in the now, oh my gosh, Eckhart Tolle all the way. I mean, we had a lot of, show, a lot of fun on that show, didn't we, Mark? Well, I think the Eckhart Tolle show, we've, we've come back to so much and I took so much away from it because the cause of anxiety, of feeling insecure, feeling maybe even overwhelmed with lots of things to do is down to how, you're, how I was compartmentalizing and um, diagnosing all that data that was available to me. So similar to what Brené was just calling out in that previous clip, do I have enough data to warrant expending the energy? If I'm thinking about Eckhart, the benefit of being present, thinking about today 
and only really worrying about things that are in front of me rather than the unnecessary worry that then just takes up bandwidth mm. means it, that it, it's freeing, isn't it? There's a lot of liberation, like of just getting over the past. And I'm not, not saying it's easy, but it's important work to do. Equally, what Dale Carnegie really taught me was when you're thinking about the future, it is very easy to get a whole lot of worry going on about things that have yet to happen. And isn't it crazy, Mark, that we can spend so much time and energy thinking, worrying, stressing about things that have yet to pass. And what he says is, look, think about what is, and answer this question, what is the worst that can happen? Mm. And actually attack that, be open to that, write it down, get to your core fear about the future, and then start improving upon that situation. If you accept there's a worst case scenario, Mark, the truth really is, rarely does the absolute worst case scenario ever play out. It's always like, particularly if you are prepared to confront that thought and accept that thought and then improve upon that, you can do things to mitigate any sort of uh, discomfort, suffering, challenge, chaos, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to get through. So for me, it's like on one hand, what we're taking from Brenna here is number one, don't get stuck in the past, but look, ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen in the future and then move through it. Like deal with the emotions that you may feel when you look to the past or to the future. But then I think bringing yourself screaming into the now is the ultimate elixir, isn't it, Mark? Be present. And I think there is so much work for us to do just to put down our phones, to pause, to breathe, and just be like, right now, that's what matters. It's so simple, but sometimes so hard, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the techniques that I use to try and stay in the moment um, from, from an Eckhart perspective, you know, only focus on the now and the present, and in doing so, try to get closer to what Brené is encouraging us to do, which is, you know, look at things objectively and decide whether it's worth your worry or not, is, you know, embracing a bit of nature, you know, taking the dog for a walk, stepping away from the constant notifications on my laptop and my devices, trying to just get out into essentially a bit of a quieter world, for want of a better phrase, and then feeling what's around me. So that might be the skin that, uh, that, that's coming alive in the sun, or if it's raining or if it's cold, you can feel that all over. Likewise, when taking a cold shower in the mornings, you're bringing yourself into that moment because every synapse is kicking off and you can feel almost every centimeter of yourself. But it also, for me, comes down to smell, uh, the sounds that I can hear, as well as, um, you know, what, what I can see in front of me. Those are, I mean, they're pretty simple when you break it down like that, you know, all I'm really saying is trying to use all of my senses and notice the things around me right here, right now. But there's most of my day when I'm deep in, you know, work or emails, or if I'm on a call or if I'm trying to, you know, put out a fire somewhere, it's not going to be on the top of my mind to really notice what's around me. Instead, I'm only going to be focused on my screen on one type of thinking. And that's when I think, for me at least, the anxiety or that worry that Brené's talking about 
really adds up and that energy really gets expended because it's not necessarily being used in the right way. It's just going on one thing to try and finish or complete rather than noticing everything that's around us. Do you, do you relate at all to that, Mike? When I, when I listened to what you're saying, I was taken back to some of the practices that you mentioned. For sure, Mark, if there was a survival guide for overcoming worry, when in doubt, take a walk outside. Yes. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> like that would be the first 100%. one, do you think? Yeah, it's got to be number one. It's got to be. It is so simple. It's so easy. The barrier to entry, not so high. (laughs) So take a walk. Um, If you can walk near a park or in a park, that gets a little bit better. Um, But I think what was really cool about what you were talking about is something that I have really been working on, and that is focusing on your senses, what you feel, smell, that, that really bring you into the present. Um, and just focusing on your sensory experience is a great way to get out of your head and stop listening to those little voices or gremlins, as Brené would say. I reckon that mm. is like a go-to um, toolkit. And I think that if you want to expand upon that, there's breath work. Just hit, hit up YouTube and look up breath exercises. In particular, one I recommend is 478 breath work very good at calming down your nervous system. Um, I think the next thing is meditation, whether it's focused or unfocused meditation. I think stretching, I think, uh, writing your journal, um, you know, these are the kind of things that really set you up, uh, for success. Um, taking care with your diet and your exercise, huge ways to reduce, worry and stress in your life. Keep, uh, this is a big one for me, Matt. Keep a consistent time to bed and wake time with your sleep. It is amazing Mm. if you are consistent with that. It's like a foundation. It's like cement. It makes you impervious to the ups and downs of the day. It's when your sleep is all over the place, then, you know, it's it's like having a hangover for me sometimes if I've really blown my sleep pattern. So, there's just so much we can do to overcome worry. And I think, you know, if I look at just the rise in anxiety amongst executives, but also I'm looking at younger generations, like the the rise of anxiety and stress is, is really concerningly high. So we got to get them into a bit of Brené Brown, Mark. We really, really do. And actually, when I'm thinking about the times when I'm very worried and I have anxiety over maybe it's, again, let's choose work, for example, a bit of deliverable or whether I want to confess to something uh, in front of friends or my family, something that, you know, maybe I've embarrassed myself, whatever it might be, or whether it's a life goal, maybe it's an ambition or an objective, maybe it's training for a marathon or starting a book that I, uh, now need to confront and say, oh, look, I haven't quite committed to it. Often there's only one thing that really, really holds me back. And this next clip we're going to hear from Brené really helps encourage you and I and our listeners to get out of our comfort zone. So let's hear from Brené now talking about how perfectionism holds us back. Here's the secret. When perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun and fear is the annoying backseat driver. Say it again. When, when perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun. We struggle with perfectionism in areas where we feel most vulnerable to shame. 
Does that make sense? So we're all comfortable saying, yeah, I'm a little perfectionistic, which is code for like I do things really well. Um, but I don't really, I'm not comfortable saying I have shame. But perfectionism, what is that? I call it the 20-ton shield. Here's what perfectionism really is. It's a way of thinking that says this. If I look perfect, live perfect, work perfect, I can avoid or minimize criticism, blame, and ridicule. Whoa, that's good. All perfectionism is, is the 20-ton shield that we carry around hoping that it'll keep us from being hurt. When in truth, what it does is it keeps us from being seen. And so we had a great talk about what's the difference between perfectionism. Yes, because somebody on my staff had the nerve to tell me that I was a perfectionist. And I absolutely deny that. And you stood by me. Thank you very much. Because I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a person who strives for excellence and requires excellence. There, there is a difference, is there not? There is a difference. There's Here's a difference. the difference. Because sometimes I'm a healthy striver. Yeah. And sometimes I'm a perfectionist. It depends on if I'm feeling, if I've got a worthiness crunch going yeah. on. So healthy striving is internally focused. It's I want to do this and be the best I can be. Perfectionism is not about what I want. It's perfectionism is exactly what will people think. think. Yes. What will people think? We fall victim to this question so much in our Mm. lives, whether it's the choice of how we look, how we work. It's like, it's like we're so desperate to please everybody else. It's like, take care of yourself first, right? Look, I, I must admit, Mike, again, look, Brené, it's clearly just a show about Brené picking on Mark, isn't it? She's putting you on the spot. (laughs) <laughs> but I've, I've got to admit, it is really difficult for me to, uh, if I was to sit here and objectively think of the last, let's say, 10 decisions I've made that have in no way had an element of others going into making that decision. And what I mean by that is me choosing to do something just for me rather than what other people are going to look at and see and judge me, it would be really hard because there's so much of the way that I'm, uh, that I operate that I think is, is influenced or at least impacted by the way that others are going to interpret it, whether it's, you know, work, maybe exercise. Yeah, I'll feel great, but there's always that little 10% or 20% of me that will be thinking, oh, I wonder what so-and-so will think of this. This makes me look good. This makes me look active, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, we we have this, and gosh, it's a tricky one too, isn't it? Because I think if you're so busy listening to that voice of what others are going to think, what they're going to say, whether they are holding you accountable, judging you, or embarrassing you, whatever it is, if you allow that, and and I certainly have as well, it is a barrier between you becoming who you should be. Uh, we talk a lot on the show about being the best version of yourself. You have to incur a little bit of criticism, um, judgment, pain, hardship. You've got to get through all of that to find the best version of yourself. I mean, let's look mm-hmm. at it. All the people that we really admire and respect they have had to forgo things. They have had to go through hardship to earn what they have accomplished. And the crazy thing here is 
if at the beginning of that journey they had listened to that voice of judgment, then they wouldn't have even started their journey. Imagine if Steph Curry never really tried to make the NBA. Like just imagine the world Mm. without that. Or imagine if someone like Oprah, when she got fired from television for quote unquote not being TV friendly, I mean, literally the queen of television was fired for not being good for television. So work that one out. (laughs) She kept going. She took the blame, the judgment, the shame. She moved through it. Imagine if that self-doubt had overcome her and she didn't pursue her career in television. Imagine that. Imagine that. So I think for me, when I think about this idea of trying to be perfect for everyone on the outside, but not doing what you should on the inside, like that is such an opportunity cost, pleasing others while not serving yourself. And the big twist for me is when you do serve yourself in the right way, you're actually able to serve others far better because you're yes. happier, you're healthier, you're just plain old better. You're open to a world of possibilities. You want to make things happen. You take time to reflect. You enjoy that beautiful hum of harmony and momentum when you're doing things that make you feel good, things that have impact on the people around you and yourself as well. But this need to appear perfect um, you know, to be, you know, two kids, two cars in a beautiful house with the perfect job, beautiful, happy, healthy. If you're doing that at the cost of being your true self and realizing your potential, you've allowed blame and judgment and shame, um, to win the battle. And I don't think anyone deserves that. No, big time, big time. And I think the, the call out around perfectionism being addictive as well, I think is a really valuable um, insight that I'm going to take away from that closing clip we heard from Brené, because why do I want to be held hostage by this? Why do I want perfectionism to perhaps stop me from trying out and creating something brand new for the world. I mean, you know, we've obviously heard from Elizabeth Gilbert with Big Magic and how the idea of creation and originality, uh, you shouldn't limit yourself just because somebody else has, has done an idea or a behavior or run a marathon, you know, just because they have doesn't mean you have. Mm. So this idea of being empowered to go out and try stuff, I think is a huge Again, call out that Brené is really speaking to me and, and hopefully a lot of the Moonshots listeners as well. Exactly. And I think just to finish the thought here is, well, we know nothing is perfect. So therefore the pursuit of perfectionism at the cost of pursuing what you should, it's mission impossible. It can't be done, right? Yeah. You will exactly. never get perfection. <laughs> you will never look so why every single day. So what? why are you so held up in that when there's another path of being your true self? Um, what I call to arms from Brene Brown with a t- Texas twang, um, I think yeah. there is just, there's a reason that Mark, you and I and all of our listeners and members love Brene Brown and that is she is just calling us out and saying that ego is running rampant. Don't be bothered by the critics. 
Make sure you respect the vault. Don't blame and judge others. I mean, there's so much in all of this, but of everything we've heard, and I know she's been calling you out, Mark, but of <laughs> all of those big uncomfortable questions, which one really worked for you? It's the blame game. It's the yeah. blame game being, and I, I, I hold my hands up. I have been hostage, held hostage by myself and I've blamed others when probably I should have turned the mirror around, Mike. That's the thing for me about ownership and, and the behavior that I'll try and change. What about you of all this plethora of good stuff from Brené? What are you taking away from today? Oh, man. Um, like, where does one start with all of these? Like, really, <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm just like, how good is Brené? That's where I am. I just think that once again, it's this idea there is, there's, there's no textbook for this stuff. Like, thank goodness she wrote her work. Thank goodness she has studied these themes of trust and vulnerability and courage and shame and empathy. Like, oh my gosh, where would we be without the opportunity for someone to nail it like she has? So Mark, I just want to thank Renee Brown. I want to thank you. And I want to thank you, our listeners and our members for show 207, Brené Brown. It's the master show. It's the master class of essential wisdom from the Texan herself. And we learned about the self-doubt that comes from the critics and we need to move through it. But in doing that, we cannot be a blamer. And she gave us a great acronym, the braving. And the big letter that we took from that was the vault to build the trust. Don't break the trust. Respect the vault with yourself and with others, and you'll be a long way to creating the trust. And don't let the worry of getting things done in the future or the past hold us back. Move forward, be present in the now, and make sure that you pursue your real path, your true destiny, be the best version of yourself. Don't allow perfectionism to hold you back. And if there was ever a mantra for the Moonshots podcast, it is exactly that. So learn out loud together, be the best version of yourself, embrace the themes of courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy, and you'll no doubt shoot for the moon. Okay, that's a wrap.